Good morning. Thanks for tuning in. This is Pastor Julie Lewis from Asbury United Methodist Church in Smyrna, Delaware, where we share the love of God and the good news of Jesus Christ in all we do. Good morning. This morning we're in the book of Matthew, and we are in chapter 16, verses 13 to 20. The title of our sermon this morning is Indestructible. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah, the word of God for the people of God. I want to begin with a well-known parable originating in ancient India. There were once six blind men who stood by the roadside every day and begged from the people who passed. They had often heard of elephants, for they had never seen one. For being blind, how could they? It so happened one morning that an elephant was driven down the road where they stood. When they were told that the great beast was before them, they asked the driver to let him stop so that they might see him. Of course, they could not see him with their eyes, but they thought that by touching him, they could learn just what kind of animal he was. And the first one happened to put his hand on the elephant's side. Well, well, he said, now I know all about this beast. He is exactly like a wall. The second felt only the elephant's tusk. Now, my brother, he said, you are mistaken. He is not at all like a wall. He is round and smooth and sharp. He is more like a spear than anything else. And the third happened to take hold of the elephant's trunk. Both of you are wrong, he said. Anybody who knows anything can see that this elephant is like a snake. The fourth reached out his arms and grasped one of the elephant's legs. Oh, how blind you are, he said. It is very plain to me that he is round and tall like a tree. The fifth was a very tall man, and he chanced to take hold of the elephant's ear. The blindest man ought to know that this beast is not like any of the things that you name, he said. He is exactly like a huge fan. The sixth was very blind indeed, and it was some time before he could find the elephant at all. At last he seized the animal's tail. Oh, foolish fellows, he cried. You surely have lost your senses. This elephant is not like a wall or a spear or a snake or a tree. Neither is he like a fan. But any man with a particle of sense can see that he is exactly like a rope. Then the elephant moved on, and the six blind men sat by the roadside all day and quarreled about him. Each believed that he knew just how the animal looked, and each called the others hard names because they did not agree with him. Now, anyone listening to the story already knows that none of them had the whole picture, but could only judge based on their individual experiences. And each one of them answered differently when asked the question, 
What is an elephant? And we begin our passage today with Jesus asking the question, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Or in Mark's version, more bluntly, who do people say that I am? And we get a variety of answers from his closest disciples. Answers from Jeremiah, Isaiah, Elijah, a prophet, even John the Baptist, which is strange since they'd actually met John the Baptist and know he's now dead. The interesting thing is that the specific prophets mentioned are the most prominent, the ones with special missions to God's people, with signs and miracles under their belts. Some of these prophets were universally known to be connected with the coming of the Messiah, the one all of Israel was anticipating to come and save them. So in essence, at the very least, they were saying that Jesus was believed to be a precursor to the Messiah. Just like the blind men exploring an elephant that was right in front of them, unable to grasp the whole picture, these disciples are answering from their own experience of Jesus and somehow are not seeing the reality of who Jesus is. That is, until Simon opens his mouth. Then we hear the words we know to be true. As Jesus looks right at Simon, he asks him as a representative of all his disciples, but who do you say that I am? And Simon, who usually finds his foot planted firmly in his mouth saying the wrong thing, gets it right. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus is not just a prophet, even a special one that makes way for the Messiah, because quite simply, he is the Messiah. God's son, the living God on earth, redeemer of Israel and the whole world in the flesh. Jesus is ecstatic and gives him high praise, a divine pat on the back, giving him the name we will remember forever, Peter, which means the rock. He tells him that God had given him the ability to see who he really is, that this knowledge did not come from Peter's own experience of Jesus, but it was a gift from God. One of Christ's missions is to give sight to the blind and here we see that Peter can see the whole picture clearly. Jesus is not just a prophet or a great rabbi. Jesus is not just a nice guy who is proclaiming the love of God and making the way for the true Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah sent by God, the living God, to save us all. Out of this moment of clarity, this ability to see the truth about Jesus. Jesus declares that just as Peter has a new name and identity, on this rock, Jesus will build his church, and even the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Now, some have said that Jesus is telling Peter that the church will be built on him personally as the first and foremost apostle, since he was the first one to make this profession of faith. But most of us Protestants don't really agree with that interpretation. We believe the rock that Jesus is referring to is Christ himself. Jesus is the foundation of our church, and our confession of Jesus as Lord makes us part of that church, built on the eternal truth that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior of the world, through his life, death, and resurrection. From this moment forward, every profession of faith in Christ has built that church into what it is today. As our beloved hymn says, the church is not a building, the church is not a steeple, the church is not a resting place, the church is the people. 
And Jesus tells Peter that this church, his church, is indestructible. Nothing can stand against it or destroy it. But is that what we believe? How do we know that it's true? Is the church really indestructible? From the beginning, people who followed Jesus Christ, known as his church, collectively, his bride in the world, have suffered persecution and challenges. Saul, who became Paul, sent people to jail and to death for their belief in Christ. We know that Roman emperors tortured and killed followers of the way, as Christians were then called. There have been martyrs in every age, even still today, as we see atrocities happening to Christians in countries like China, North Korea, and in some Islamic states. But we don't need enemies with guns or state power or swords to persecute and attempt to kill the church, silencing the truth of Christ. We make attempts to do that all by ourselves at times. How many Christians have killed or condemned other Christians for what they believe or don't believe? Roman Catholics against Protestants, Roman Catholics against Greek Orthodox Catholics, Baptists against Methodists, Evangelicals against Quakers, and the list goes on and on. And then there is the world around us. Changing values in society seep into our Christian way of living, the way Jesus teaches us in his word. And we are slowly but surely drawn away from our faith, finding ourselves arm in arm with other ideals and beliefs. We become apathetic to the need to profess our faith in the one true Messiah. And as we become comfortable in life, we see the world and Jesus with different eyes. If life is good... Just like the Israelites of old, we no longer see the need for a Savior and begin to believe we can do everything ourselves. All of this, these attitudes and beliefs, are a threat to the church that claims Jesus as Lord and Savior. The only way to keep this from happening in the church and in our individual lives of faith is to stay connected to God through prayer, through worship, through the preaching of the gospel week after week, day after day. This teaching, this doctrine and discipline is actually the rock of the church Jesus is speaking about. The preaching and teaching of God's kingdom and the living out of those kingdom values, our faith, in action. And yet, those who seem to have a passion for Christ, for God's kingdom, can also become the very instrument that threatens to destroy the church as well. How many stories have I heard of those who claim Jesus as Lord and point, but yet point fingers and judge those who do not have the same faith in Christ? Out of their idea that people who behave one way or the other are heading for destruction instead of heaven, they try to bully them or shame them into having faith in Christ. And although I do understand that they just want everyone to know Christ, to be saved from eternal death, well-meaning Christians can forget that Jesus said that the greatest commandment is to love God and your neighbor as yourself, that we are not to judge or be judgmental, lest we also be judged. If we came to Christ, put our faith in him because we have experienced his great love for us, how can we not show that same love to those we want to have the same experience of Christ and profess their own faith in him? See, as God's people redeemed by the cross and given new life, how can we point fingers and judge those around us? We can't. We have been given a great gift. 
the gift of sight. Our faith in Christ comes to us not because of anything we do, but by God's revelation to us, just like Peter. Our job is to love others until Jesus is revealed to them by God. And maybe that revelation will come as a result of how we behave as people of God, as they see Christ in us, but it will never come as a result of our attempts to judge. Note that Jesus didn't point fingers at the other disciples who had it wrong that day and judged them. He celebrated with Peter, and maybe that led to the others rethinking their own answer. What we do know is that every one of them came to the realization that Jesus is the Messiah. Well, maybe not Judas, but all the others. When and how, we don't really know. The church is built on the rock that is Christ, that sure cornerstone. God says in Isaiah 28, 14 to 16, Therefore hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers who rule this people in Jerusalem, because you have said, we have made a covenant with death, and with Sheol we have an agreement. When the overwhelming scourge passes through, it will not come to us, for we have made lies our refuge, and in falsehood we have taken shelter. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, See, I am laying in Zion a foundation stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. One who trusts will not panic. God knows that we are human, and as such, we often put our trust in things of the world. Yet he sent his son to lay a foundation for his people, his church, and it is built on truth, truth that stands forever, truth that will never die. And one who trusts in this truth, the sure foundation, will not panic or be afraid because nothing can stand against it. We live in a time when some are convinced that the government is trying to close down our churches to deprive us of our right to gather in worship. We live in a time when people are turning away from the church as a place of meaning and value to society and to their everyday lives. And it seems at times as though the church will not survive this pandemic or the current age of self-reliance and disbelief. But to believe that would be wrong. The church is not a building. It is the people of God who have faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior. And as long as there are people in the world who make that claim and live according to the ways of Jesus, the church lives on. And there are millions of people who still claim Jesus as their Lord and Savior. The church is alive. I think it's especially poignant that Jesus is speaking to his disciples, asking this particular question at Caesarea Philippi. I've had the privilege of being there and seeing the ruins of this ancient city. It was a trade center for the area. Before Jesus walked their streets, Baal had been worshipped there. There is an abandoned temple in a cave to the Roman god Pan, the god of nature. The city is named after Caesar, who was worshipped as a god, and after Herod's son Philip, who ruled over the area at that time. This one city was once the center of economic power, of ruling power, and religious power. 
Jesus wanted to know, as he looked at all of this, what was the ruling power of their lives? What did they see in him? And you have to understand, as I walked through the ruins of this city, it was obvious that no one worshipped Pan or any Roman emperor any longer. The power of the economic status once held there no longer existed. This once bustling city had no life left in it at all, except for the people like me who came to see what it once was. It was, it is quite frankly, history. Yet the church that Jesus spoke about in that place is still most certainly not and will never be just history. It has history, but it still lives on. This church built on the foundation, the cornerstone of Jesus Christ and our profession of faith in him has withstood the tests, the struggles, the persecutions and challenges of every age. Nothing can stand against it. Not apathy, not COVID-19, not fear, not restrictive laws and regulations, not the people who take the word of God and use it for their own purposes, not hate, not any government policy, nothing. As long as there are people in this world who proclaim Christ as Lord, the church will prevail. Expect persecution, expect challenges. Jesus tells us it will happen but nothing will ever close the church. Buildings may close, and they have been closed and opened for over 2,000 years, but there will always be God's people living in the light of the truth of Jesus Christ, standing on that firm foundation for eternity. Where do you stand today, right this moment? Are you standing on that truth, the solid rock of your faith in Jesus Christ? I don't know how many of you have been able to listen to the podcast series that Jennifer Burns has been doing over the last few months. She's been interviewing members of the Asbury family so that we might get to know them better and how their faith has impacted their lives. If you haven't listened to it, I hope you will. It's been great to hear how God has worked in their lives and how it has impacted our church over the years. But one thing I've enjoyed is that she asks one particular question to each of them, and we get to hear how each one answers differently. The question is, if you had the opportunity to talk about Jesus with someone and you could only say one thing, what would that be? And I love it because you can see by their answers, their own experience of Jesus. Jesus loves you. Jesus forgives you. Jesus is the way to eternal life. Jesus is your friend. These are just some of the answers, and I've abbreviated them for sure. But just like the blind man and the elephant, they have all answered out of their own experience of Christ. But the thing is that even though they could only talk about one thing, one aspect of the love of God we see in Jesus Christ, you can tell that all of these people of God have the whole picture. They stand on their faith, the one revealed to them by God, that Jesus Christ is the Savior, the Messiah, and what that 
means for them and for the whole world. It's not a standalone faith. It's one that has developed and grown as they continue to experience Christ in their lives and in their actions. That faith is the bedrock of the church, our church, your church, my church, which really is the church of Jesus Christ that lives wherever believers are found, anywhere in the world. Nothing will ever stand against the church. Nothing will cause it to die. Those who live and believe in Christ will never die. The church can't be closed, so don't worry that our building isn't open or about our religious freedom being infringed upon. Christ is alive, and because he lives, the church will live forever too. It is indestructible. Live into your faith. Develop and deepen your relationship with Jesus, the source of our very life and the foundation of our faith. Study God's word. Join with other believers in worship, even if that's not in the same physical space. We are all connected by the power of the Holy Spirit. And through that power, we hold the keys to the kingdom of heaven for ourselves and for the world. Nothing can separate us from the love of God we find in Christ. And nothing can keep us apart either as the people of God living in the kingdom here on earth. So where do you stand? Find your indestructible faith in Christ's indestructible church. Stand on the solid rock of truth and life. Stand on your faith in Christ as Lord and Savior, not just your Savior, but the Savior of the world. Show the world who Christ is by how you live and through your rock-solid faith. Share the love of Christ and help him build that church until all the world is standing on the rock of faith in Christ.